This is the Spring Research Project podcast where we talk about community sponsorship of refugees. My name is Eliza Bateman and I am Head of Research at the University of Ottawa Refugee Hub. And I'm Tiumir Sabchev, Postdoctoral Fellow at the Refugee Hub. Welcome back to the Spring Podcast. A thank you to our listeners joining us in Canada and also a welcome to those listeners who might be joining us from across the Atlantic in the UK and Europe and maybe even further afield. Today we're making a transition from our last podcast episode where we talked about the role and significance of settlement agreement holders to the private refugee sponsorship program in Canada. And you may remember that settlement agreement holders have traditionally facilitated the arrival of the greatest share of privately sponsored refugees in Canada over the past 40 odd years. But today we want to talk about another significant stream within the PSR program called the Group of Five, or you might hear us call this group the G5 stream. And the Group of Five stream has accounted for the arrival of tens of thousands of refugees into Canada as well. So over the last few years, from about 2017 onwards, we begin to see the importance of the G5 stream growing in terms of numbers. And this trend looks set to continue if we take into account the Immigration Levels Plan for 2021 to 2024 of the Canadian government. And for those who don't know, the Immigrations Plan is the government's estimate or priority setting for the number of people and the categories of refugees and immigrants that Canada will welcome over that period of time. So today we're going to take a closer look into G5 sponsorships in Canada. We're going to look at how they're regulated, who are G5 sponsors, how do they get together and how do they navigate the sponsorship process, what supports are available to them from the government and from civil society and what challenges do they face. And finally, we're going to try and see if the Canadian expertise and experience in relation to the G5 sponsorship stream might be useful for emerging sponsorship programs abroad. I'm thrilled to welcome my co-host and my colleague, Tio, who is going to present our guest speakers. And we're thrilled that they could join us today to discuss this important topic. Thank you so much, Eliza, and welcome to our listeners again. Just like last time, we have two experts joining us today. And first, I would like to welcome May Amuri, who is based in Toronto. In 2015, May worked as a trainer with the Lifeline Syria Initiative. In 2016, she joined the Refugee Sponsorship Training Program as a trainer in the Greater Toronto Area. May has an extensive experience working closely with groups of five and community sponsors. And in her current role as facilitator, she connects sponsors and newcomers with service provider organizations, which supports the successful settlement and integration of refugees in Canada. Thank you for your time and for joining us today, May. Thank you for inviting me to this conversation. Uh, it's a very important uh, topic to uh, help listeners um, understand they uh, all about the groups of five and how they um, operate and support the uh, sponsored refugees, the newcomers in their new home in Canada. It's a pleasure to have you with us, May. And our second guest today is Anya Quadrans, 
who is lawyer and actually a colleague of ours at the University of Ottawa Refugee Hub, where she works as a principal policy advisor. In 2015, Anya helped establish the National Refugee Sponsorship Support Program, which mobilized and trained more than 1,400 Canadian lawyers and law students on Canada's private sponsorship application process and connected them with Canadian sponsors seeking to welcome refugees affected by the conflict in Syria. Today, Anya works to share Canada's experience with other countries and to support the policy design and implementation of new refugee sponsorship programs around the world. Anya, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Delighted to, to be here. Great to see and talk to you, Eliza and Tiho and um, May. Great to be connecting today as well. Excited for the chat. Thanks so much for joining us, Anya and May. I'm going to kickstart the conversation and I'm going to go first to Anya, who, as Tio has described, but perhaps in a more layman terms, is our resident legal and policy expert, I think it's fair to say, when we talk about how the private sponsorship of refugees program in Canada operates. So Anya, taking into account the fact that some of our listeners might not be familiar with the group of five stream, I wondered if you could explain to us what G5 sponsorships are and perhaps describe a little of the legal and policy infrastructure that governs these sponsorships. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Eliza. And I, I think I'll give a quick intro, but of course, um, May is uh, is also the, the expert in the room. So um, there's lots to unpack around G5. So I'll start with a quick intro and then we can kind of deep dive into any of the areas that we, we'd like to. So just very quickly, I thought I would cover three main points when I think about groups of five and introducing them. So the first is what is a group of five, of course. And then secondly, what do groups of five need to show the government in order to be approved as an official G5? And once they're approved, what sort of services do they agree to provide as sponsors? And then finally, just really quickly, who groups of five can actually sponsor? So the first, what is a group of five? Quite simple. Um, it's a group of five individuals. Each individual must have certain characteristics, but they're also quite straightforward. So each individual must be an adult over the age of 18 years. Each sponsor must be a Canadian citizen or permanent resident. Each individual must live in the same community in which the refugee they are seeking to sponsor is expected to settle. Um, it's kind of a logical requirement so they can be close by to provide the support that they agree to provide. And then linked to that, they must agree to give settlement support for the length of the sponsorship. And in Canada, that's usually for a period of one year. Then what do they need to show in order to be approved as a G5? So there's two main components, and, and we can kind of unpack these a little bit more, but just a quick overview is that they need to provide a settlement plan. So this is a document essentially outlining how they will provide the necessary supports to the newcomers they're sponsoring to help them adjust to an independent life in Canada after they arrive. And um, as I already mentioned, this support is expected to be provided for the first year that the refugees land in Canada. Um, and it includes stuff like plans around securing housing, connecting newcomers to the services available in their community, like language learning, employment counseling, making sure that they connect to a family doctor and dentist, and so on and so forth, in addition to the friendship and moral and emotional support that they're expected to provide and agree to provide in order to make people feel welcome and, and secure in Canada. 
And the second is they need to show the government that they have financial capacity to support the newcomers for that first year in Canada. So the actual amount of money that they need to demonstrate that they have as a group can differ um, based on the size of the family and the location at which they're um, in Canada. But roughly, it needs to be an amount that's roughly equivalent to social assistance rates in their in their communities. And then finally, um, who can groups of five sponsor? Um, so Eliza, in your introduction, you mentioned that this conversation is mostly centering around the private sponsorship of refugees program. But I thought I'd mention that groups of five can also sponsor through a related but separate stream of sponsorship in Canada called the Blended Visa Office Referred <laughs> Program, or BVOR for short. And the, the key difference from this program is that groups of five can sponsor refugees that they don't know, but that they hope to be matched to who need extra support when they come to Canada. Um, so normally these are refugees who are referred to Canada's resettlement system by organizations like the UNHCR, and then Canada matches them. Actually, the RSDP matches them <laughs> to two sponsors who raise their hand and say, hey, we want to we wanna help a family settle in Canada, but we don't know exactly who to help. Private sponsorship is a little bit different because the sponsors can actually identify or name the specific person that they'd like to nominate to come to Canada and to sponsor them. And the final thing I'll mention is that in relation to this route, there is one extra requirement that G5s need to show in order to be able to sponsor refugees through private sponsorship. And that requirement is the fact that refugees must already possess a refugee status document from the UNHCR or another state. So this is a document demonstrating that UNHCR has already considered their refugee claim abroad and, and formally recognizes them as refugees. This sometimes limits um, who is able to sponsor as a group of five through the through the private sponsorship program. And at times when Canada has desired to kind of expand the ability for groups of five to sponsor in this area, they introduce exemptions. So this was the case, for instance, in 2015 and 2016. They lifted that requirement and it allowed groups of five to sponsor thousands of, of refugees affected by the Syrian conflict. And just last week, actually, a similar exemption was introduced in relation to the to the Afghan crisis as well. So for the next year or so, as of October 17th, groups of five who want to sponsor Afghan refugees don't have to uh, show this document as part of their application package. And so that'll last uh, for a year or until 3,000 um, individuals are sponsored through that avenue. Uh, so I'll pause there. Um, and hopefully that's enough kind of to, to expand upon and, and turn it back to you, uh, Eliza. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anya. And um, brilliant and concise. And thank you for that, that excellent overview. And thanks particularly for outlining the difference or the options for BBOR sponsorship as well as PSR sponsorships. Yeah, I think it's actually me being a little imprecise in how I'm considering the, the PSR program. Um, we often see it as like sort of an umbrella but you're quite right. There are quite different. There are different elements in terms of, of who gets sponsored through um, these different programs. So it's thank you for for sort of stranding that out, and thank you for noting the the exemption for Afghan refugees, which yeah is is is, is, is an exciting development. I think for that for that program, I wanted to follow up with you just on one point, and it's a big question. So we don't need to get into all of the differences, but. Last week, as I mentioned, we were really looking at SAR sponsorships, so settlement agreement holder sponsorships, and how these organizations support 
sponsors sort of acting under their umbrella to welcome newcomers. If you had to pick, say, a couple of the big structural differences between the G5 stream and the settlement agreement holder stream for sponsorships, what would those differences be? Sure. So I think one of the major differences relates to this eligibility requirement around having a refugee status document. So sponsorship agreement holders are recognized, rightly so, as as organizations who possess tremendous expertise and experience in sponsoring refugees for many, many years. And uh, a part of this recognition is, is lifting that requirement. So refugees sponsored through the sponsorship agreement holders don't have to have that pre-recognition from UNHCR or another state. And I think I just alluded to another kind of key structural difference. Sponsorship agreement holders kind of tend to do sponsorship work from year to year, welcome multiple families. They can be very big organizations working with many, many different constituent groups who, who sponsor refugees on a regular basis, and they welcome multiple multiple refugee families from around the world each year. Groups of five very often sponsor on an ad hoc basis, so they might have a specific family they wish to sponsor, and or or they kind of go through the BVOR program and and just get matched to a particular family. But it tends to be kind of a a one off thing, and then maybe they'll they'll go on to kind of help extended family members. But it seems it's kind of a more constrained ad hoc approach to sponsorship, whereas sponsorship agreement holders will will often operate kind of on a more long-standing basis with with many groups and welcome multiple families through through their organizations every year. So I would say those are some key differences, but I'm sure um, I'm sure others can can point others as well. Thank you so much, Anya. I think that you set the foundations for our conversation in a very concise manner, presenting the overall policy structure for groups of five sponsorships. I would like to turn now to May, who has a lot of practical experience. She has worked on a day-to-day basis with groups of five and has a very good overview on what is happening on the ground. Perhaps a good starting point would be May to tell us a little bit more about uh, the trends that you observe in the groups of five stream, telling us a little bit more about the numbers of G5 sponsorships and how they have evolved through the years because it seems to us that this G5 stream is becoming more and more important for the private sponsorship of refugees program. Thank you, uh, Tio, and thank you, Anya, for uh, the information you shared. Actually, groups of five are very important for the uh, private sponsorship of refugees uh, stream. Um, And they contribute to uh, a large number of the applications uh, and individuals uh, sponsored under this uh, stream. Um, I have some numbers from 2021, um, not um, for the whole year, but at one point in 2021, um, I learned that there were 6,200 applications for PSRs. 4,300 out of the 6,200 were G5, groups of five applications. So the rest were for um, uh, applications for sponsorship agreement holders and for community sponsorship. So if you do the math, it will be about 70% of the applications submitted are groups of five. 
that's why it is um, an important stream and that's why the government of Canada is putting more efforts to find ways to support uh, groups of five because as um, Anya explained about the different difference between groups of five and um, uh, SAS, uh, sponsorship agreement holders in structure, groups of five, they don't have a body to represent them. They don't have um, a certain organization or a council that they will resort to for questions, for support, for follow-up if, you know, on their application, if there is a delay, if there is, there are many refusals. They don't have anywhere to go except, of course, for our our program as RSTP, we, we support them and we will get to that later. Um, but um, yeah, the difference, uh, this is um, a huge gap for groups of five where they don't have a representation similar to the SAR Council, for example. And we don't know where, who they are. We don't know where they are, they are about. So if we are to support them, they have to come to us in order to be supported. Otherwise, we don't know who they are to guide them in the process of you know, preparing the application and understanding the, the requirement um, that's, uh, for, for groups of five to meet the um, IRCC requirement when they submit the application. So having said that, it is an important stream, contributes to majority of the private sponsorship of refugees in Canada. And that's why more attention is and needed to be given to them and more support should be in place. Perhaps before we go to that support, given the importance, uh, the increasing importance of the G5 stream for the private sponsorship of refugees program, and the fact that we know little about the overall profile of the G5 groups, who are these sponsors, I think that the only, pretty much the only way to get to know more about it is to talk to people like you who have been in contact with some of them. So from your experience, can you tell us what is the, what is a common profile of a group of five sponsor? In the sponsorship agreement holder stream, we have seen that there is a pretty much continuity of the same type of sponsor who is going to engage in refugee sponsorship over the years. From your experience, is this something that you've observed in the G5 stream, or as Anya mentioned, it, is it like common to have one-time sponsors? And what is their demographic profile? Yeah, exactly. As Anya mentioned, um, it is like groups of five. It could be just one-time application, and it could be a group member involved in multiple applications as well. But the group itself could be a group to sponsor, like formed to sponsor one family member and maybe another relative. So the same group could be involved in multiple sponsorship, but not too many because uh, IRCC will assess their capacity uh, on a financial level and on resources and volunteer like human resources uh, level as well, because they might have the finance, enough finance to support multiple families, but they might not necessarily have the time to, to support multiple families. So IRCC assesses the group individually, um, as a group, financially and individually as well. So if I am involved in multiple sponsorships and I work a full-time job 
and I am indicating on each of the sponsorships that I am, I will help the newcomer with their daily tasks or daily, um, you know, needs, uh, take them to different appointments. And if I am involved in two or three uh, sponsorships and these two or three, they represent maybe 10 individuals. So IRCC might not be convinced that I can really do a good job here and be committed to all these three or four sponsorships. So I might be approved for one or two of them, not for the rest. But usually in general, it is like a one-time sponsorship um, or could be repeated in the following year or, but it's not an ongoing basis similar to SARS. The composition of, of the groups of five, majority of them traditionally their family members or friends or relatives, um, but in most cases family members or relatives. Um, with the Syrian crisis, groups of five jumped to help, you know, strangers formed groups of five to support a family member who, uh, who, who, who didn't necessarily have the financial capacity or another additional four group members. So many Canadians who are strangers to uh, an identified refugee to be sponsored and their groups of five jumped in and did fundraising and um, uh, formed a group um, either by themselves, but you know, with the knowledge of or the connection with the family member who is in Canada, who um, didn't necessarily have the money, didn't necessarily have the knowledge how to complete uh, an application form or submit it to IRCC. So they were kind of helping out by forming groups of five. So the nature of the members, who they are to the refugee changed over the time with the Syrian crisis to mere strangers uh, to, the, uh, to the newcomer, to the sponsored refugee. And uh, we could see probably the same now with the Afghan refugees with the, you know, when the uh, IRCC um, lifted the requirement of uh, the RSD for the principal applicant, maybe we, we could see the same scenario here happening where uh, strangers could be forming a group of five and sponsoring a refugee. And that's similarly to BVOR cases as well, when groups of five wanted to sponsor uh, a blended visa office referred case uh, where the refugee is unknown to the sponsors. But traditionally, and that continues forming the majority of the groups of five family members or relatives or friends. I just um, thank you so much for um talking about the importance of the group of five model for for families and I just wanted to underscore and emphasize that point a little bit from from two perspectives as may mentioned it is a critical avenue for family members to be able to bring in extended members of their family who might not otherwise qualify for different immigration or refugee routes to Canada, so uncles or grandparents or, or extended, uh, just members of extended family. And what we found in Canada is that not only is this a critical route, but I think um, an also important engine to sustain sponsorship activity in Canada. Um, what happens very often is Canada also has a very generous government resettlement program, but almost inevitably anybody who comes to Canada leaves people behind. So 
group of five sponsorship and and the private sponsorship stream provides a critical avenue for those people to be able to form groups in their community, um, maybe as family members or together with different community members to bring those extended family members here as well. So I think it's just critical from a human perspective, but also has this echo effect, what we call it, has also kind of generated continuous momentum in the in the sponsorship program for, I guess, almost 40 years now in Canada. Thanks so much, Anya and May, um, for those um, fantastic comments about who G5 sponsors are and, and the significance of the program. May, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about the type of support that um, we know G5 sponsors offer newcomers. You've, you know, you say that often we're dealing with people who are family or friends or community members of, of the refugees they sponsor. I wanted to ask you whether there's, in your experience, whether you see anything special about the kind of settlement support that G5 sponsors offer newcomers. Thank you uh, for the question. Groups of five, you know, when they, they're sponsoring a family member, they will go, I think, above and beyond the settlement checklist that the government of Canada requires uh, from all the sponsors. So there is a, a settlement checklist that all sponsors, sponsoring groups should go over this checklist and, you know, connect them to uh, ESL, English or French as a second language classes, connect them with the community, connect them with a settlement worker, with, uh, you know, a family doctor, etc. And the list is long, but groups of five actually go not only groups of five, like sponsors in general, but groups of five, because it's a family member and it's a, or a relative, uh, someone they know and they were, you know, looking forward to bring, uh, to sponsor and bring to Canada, they go above and beyond the list. So they are, in most cases, they are part of their family uh, here in Canada. So it's not, you know, the, the support that they provide to them is, you know, cannot be documented and cannot be actually um, put a, a pre- price tag on, on this, these kinds of support. Uh, whether, as Anya mentioned before, emotional support, uh, friendship, uh, moral support. Sometimes they, they, they might take some leave from their work, you know, just to accommodate the newcomer and be with them and let them feel welcomed. And because newcomers, they come with different expectations as well. It's not like they don't know the Canadian system. They don't know how busy we are when we are where we have a, a full-time job. They don't know um, the financial, the financial demand, uh, you know, for for us as when we living here, supporting our own families. And then they, of course, they come from different um, cultural backgrounds. The expectations of a family member is really high. It's not, you know. You brought us here. Here is your place of, you know, to to reside. This is your accommodation, and here are the guides for the city, the uh, transportation, family doctors, and okay, good luck. It's not. It's not for them. They expect a lot from the sponsors and family members. They expect, you know, even more than we can really give sometimes. So understanding this by the sponsors um, puts the sponsors in a really 
tough situation here where they need to accommodate their own family, meet their own obligations here and work requirements and time, and at the same time be with the newcomers. Almost the newcomers would expect them to be there 24-7 answer the phone calls be there like if they're if they're feeling lonely if they if they're you know in in stress if they uh, are you know stuck in the traffic or didn't know how which bus to take to to their appointment they expect you as a sponsor a family member to be there 24 7 for them they can call you in the middle of the night I know that this happened as well with settlement workers sharing their experience with me that they expect the new, the newcomer expects the settlement worker on the you know weekend to answer calls and respond to their questions so it is like a, a big responsibility for uh, groups of 5 and they give more than as i mentioned they go beyond and above the settlement checklist and um, the the checklist is is long and as anya mentioned from you know connecting them with a family doctor to opening a bank account showing them how to do transactions and use their credit cards debit cards how to manage their finances how to you know um, uh, follow up with the school for any issues with the children for registration for immunization, for any, all different aspects of our daily life. So they, they provide all these kinds of support and help them with these tasks. And above and beyond is the emotional and moral support, which is huge and can't be really measured. Are there some groups who can't really meet this, um, uh, you know, these uh, obligations or the expectations of the newcomers? For sure, but we're talking about, you know, the majority of them will be uh, going above and beyond to to support from A to Z and more. Thank you for giving us such insight into how hard G five sponsors work. I, I think Tia may have a, a, a another question for you, but. Thank you. I think for me and for Eliza, it's actually not surprising at all that this theme emerged in our conversation, the family links and relative links between the sponsors, the G5 sponsors and the refugees who are coming to Canada through the PSR program. Because in our research and all the interviews that we have conducted over the last months, this was perhaps the number one, the most important topic that we found out. And I will use this opportunity to advertise the future episode of our podcast, which will come in a couple of months. And it will be focused explicitly on the importance of this link between the sponsor and the newcomer on the settlement of newcomers and on the overall design and future of the private sponsorship of refugees program. But to return to our conversation today, May, I would like to ask you about the challenges that Groups of Five face and, uh, of course, about um, the support that Groups of Five can access from the Refugee Sponsorship Training Program and trainers and settlement workers. Thank you, um, Tiho. So uh, that's an important question. The challenges are always there. So if we start with the challenges, it's from the beginning the challenge when, you know, get back to the requirements and policy, Anya, when the requirement is for RSD, the principal applicant to um, have the RSD uh, to be recognized as a refugee, to be 
actually to be able to sponsor this family, uh, the principal applicant and um, their family members. So that's, that's the greatest challenge facing groups of five when they wish to sponsor uh, a family member and their family. That's, that's always like on the table um, trying to discuss with IRCC um, through different channels how to, what's an alternative for RSD, what's an, a possible alternative for RSD so that the groups of five can continue sponsoring a family member without, who, who doesn't necessarily have the RSD. So this is, this is one component like of the challenge that's pre-submission of the application. So let's assume the, the refugee or the principal applicant has the RSD and the group would like to sponsor this family. So a challenge is there in some and many cases, the groups themselves. First, they might, a person might not have enough people to form a group of five. So sometimes they would um, probably uh, approach us as an RSTP because they know we provide training on private sponsorship of refugees. Um, they, they call us um, looking for a group member to join. So they, they would tell us we have, we're only three and we're lacking two other members to join our group, to form a group of five, to bring this family member and sponsor this family member. So that's one challenge. Sometimes they don't have enough people to form a group. The second challenge is they might not have enough funds as well, especially when the, the family is a large family. So sometimes they're looking for ways how to uh, fundraise for a certain application. The third one is their knowledge about or understanding the requirement. So the requirement and the guide for groups of five is really very much detailed that they don't necessarily, because groups of five, um, if they're family members, they, they could be newcomers themselves that had been here in the country for just a few years, and their English might not be the perfect, uh, at a perfect level when they, where they can read and understand fully the requirement. So sometimes the requirement is not, or the guide for groups of five is not so, clear to them or accessible and they might not be able to navigate the system to get to get the information and if they don't know about our program then they're le they're left with no support and sometimes vulnerable to immigration consultants or immigration lawyers who don't necessarily all of them which happened in the past they don't necessarily know all the details of the uh, groups of five and the little tricky parts or information that could really result in a refusal of their application if they don't address it properly or complete it uh, in the proper way for example if they are to submit a proof of uh, proof of funds this is very tricky. If you're not really on top of the requirement and working on daily basis uh, um, on, on these applications, things could go wrong and the group could, after all the efforts they, they've done, the proof that they submitted might not be the exact like proof of funds that's um, uh, acceptable for the IRCC officer who's reviewing the application. So 
that's another part where if they don't have access to or they're unable to navigate the system correctly or they don't know about our program to reach out to us so we can support them they they are left to you know maybe someone will help them with the application but all the information is um you know there are some missing there is some missing parts of the information that will result in um, the refusal and we know that how how long it takes until they get you know a response back with the refusal or accept uh, approval and that's really that's a challenge for them one more challenge would be um, even after arrival of the refugee again if they don't if they're not aware of the settlement support that's um, uh, um, that's available for them, and we might think, oh, how how would they miss that? Because when IRCC communicates back to them by email, they will provide links to all these kinds of support and links to our program. But again, as I mentioned, if their their English level is not at a point where they can understand and open links and uh, navigate the information online, then they're missing the opportunity of being connected and to uh, to our team and to settlement support team um, to be assisted there. So yes, this is uh, uh, these are the challenges that I could think of. So how RSTP can uh, usually support the groups of five? So if we know the groups of five uh, by when they sent us an inquiry by email or by phone, then we are providing them with training from the beginning. Is the, the refugee you wish to sponsor is eligible? And Anya thankfully um, uh, addressed the eligibility. So are, are they eligible to be sponsored? Yes or no? Yes, then how to complete the application forms, who can be included on the application. Sometimes there is, you know, um, misunderstanding of uh, family member because in other cultures like aunts and uncles, grandparents, they live with the family and they are considered one family. So we need to clarify that, you know, like a family member is uh, the, a, a family. The definition of the family is, you know, parents with children, uh, unmarried children, and uh, children of unmarried children under 22, that's one application. So we, we clarify who can be listed on an application form. Then we provide them with training on completing the application forms. Uh, we guide them and we explain the guide for them as well in training sessions. So we do group training sessions. We repeat these sessions uh, on monthly basis so, uh, and we invite them to attend these sessions. We follow up on their questions as well during the session and after the session. If they would like to inquire by phone or by email, we provide feedback and answers. And then once they complete the application forms, going back to the application forms, if they can't really complete the application forms themselves for different reasons, we trained, um, and maybe Anya knows about this uh, group of pro bono lawyers who c 
came on board uh, during the Syrian crisis to support with completing the application forms. So they sit with the uh, sponsors uh, virtually or in person. In the past, it was in person. Now they're doing it virtually and maybe going back to in-person gradually. And they are called the Refugee Sponsorship Support Project, SSP. So we hosted this project in our RSTP uh, program and we refer sponsors who are unable to complete the application forms to these pro bono lawyers who can help them complete the application forms and review the forms. We, our team as well, we review the application forms once completed, we give feedback, and we point out if there is any you know, lack of information or missing documents or this is not the proper documents that will help them meet the requirement and we guide them on what to do. Then we follow up as well after they submit the application form if, if they receive any questions from uh, Resettlement Operations Center in Ottawa, Rocco, if they receive any uh, additional requirements, questions, uh, sometimes they, their application is returned for minor mistakes. We help them as well resubmit like a, a, another request for reconsideration. And in, in many, many cases, the request, um, you know, the, the response from Rocco was positive. They reconsidered their decision. Uh, so we help them all the way, even when the application is sent overseas and if they receive any, let's say they want to add a family member, now there is a newborn or a marriage, a spouse, we help them as well to add uh, the, the, the new family member to their application. Once they get to the interview, if they let us know, we will send them a, um, a fact sheet about preparation for the interview for the refugees so they can be prepared when they go to the interview to help them you know have a successful interview and then we follow up with them as well with other additional training once we uh, after the submission and approval we follow up on and when we know about um, the the interview we invite them for another training about post-arrival settlement support uh, for the newcomers. And now with the new project as well, that the one I'm working with my other two colleagues, uh, which is the Settlement Support Connection Project that was born as a result of Ari's, uh, Ari's research and identifying the gap in connection uh, connecting the newcomers or the newcomers accessing the settlement support, especially for groups of five and community sponsors. So this project now is uh, mainly, last year was mainly for groups of five and community sponsors. So we connect in intentionally the newcomers and the sponsors with a settlement worker that would, um, would be the best match for them to, uh, to, to, to work with them Sometimes it's because of language barrier. They can't really connect with only English or French speaking settlement workers. So we identify and we train the settlement workers as well on the PSR program and the nature of the relationship between the sponsors and the newcomers. So when they meet together, the three of them, they can collaborate on settlement support. So we help the, the, the settlement workers understand the role of the sponsors 
in settlement support. So they can collaborate together and work as, uh, as allies, not as, you know, this is my property, this is your property. It's, it's just a collaboration towards the best interest of the newcomer um, to make sure their settlement and integration is successful in Canada. So that's the latest about the... Uh, now this year, IRCC extended and expanded this project and funded the project for an additional two years until 2024. And the SA community actually expressed their interest to take advantage of this project and be on board. So now the project is supporting all sponsors, including SAS, and supporting all newcomers under the PSR and the BVOR program as well. And we provide emotional support to groups of five. So many of them come to our office or over the phone, you know, in distress, crying, um, sometimes so really sad about family members who are stuck in a certain country in a refugee camp and they, they, they want, you know, to support them. We, we do kind of build a connection with them as well as a team. It's not only, uh, you know, it's a matter of, you know, this is um, a group of five, this is, um, you know, uh, I'm just giving them the information. No, we, we connect with them on a human level as well and uh, build a relationship. And we feel like um, really we, we do feel their pain and we, we, we share, you know, feelings with each other and uh, uh, we we become like a family or friends. It's I know this is it sounds like unprofessional. Sometimes you have to build this kind of uh, uh, yes within boundaries, professional boundaries. But we we still help them feel the the connection that we we really feel for uh, the refugees. We feel for for them, and we we are here to support them and provide um, the information, the resources, um, you know, as much as we can within our, of course, mandate. Thank you very much, May, for the important work that you are doing. I just wanted to inform our listeners that uh, you provided us with some links to the resources that uh, RSTP provides for groups of five, and I'm going to add those in the description of the podcast if anyone is interested in them. Now I want to turn to Eliza. I think she has a final question to you and Anya. I do have a final question. So look, thank you both so much for this this fantastic discussion. The last thing I'd like to do is to link our conversation uh, with some of the work that we we have partners and stakeholders around the world who are helping to build community sponsorship models in different countries. Obviously, there are different policy option and practice considerations uh, in different locations and what works in Canada may not work everywhere else. I think that's, you know, that's a given. But that said, there are lots of things that I think countries are eager to learn from Canada in relation to sponsorship. So I'd love to close with a question to you both and perhaps I'll throw first to Anya and then to you, May. So based on our conversation and the sort of the discussion we've had about the groups of five stream in Canada, are there any best practices or takeaways that you would offer to practitioners and policymakers in other contexts who are looking to design sponsorship programs? 
Thanks so much, Eliza. And thanks so much, May, for that really detailed and thorough description of the ins and outs of of group of five sponsorship, but also kind of the the human experiences that are involved in it. And just listening to you talk really underscored for me the importance of of an organization like the Refugee Sponsorship Training Program and having the experts and caring caseworkers available. And I'm so delighted that the the pro bono um, legal expertise continues to sit alongside that as well to make sure that sponsors are really, really supported from the very first step. Um, I guess best practices, I'm trying to sort of draw together some reflections I had listening to this rich discussion um, and also kind of translate them into best practices. And one of the things that popped into my head is that we talk about groups of five, but really that's a minimum. Um, and, And May talked about, you know, sometimes groups do have difficulties forming groups, but there are other circumstances where groups form that are technically groups of five, but they have 10, 15, 25, or kind of in, in some limited cases, even 100 people in them. And, and so I just wanted to underscore that that group of five is a minimum and, um, and, and groups of only five do this type of work successfully. But it is, uh, it is also fairly common for, for larger groups to take on this group and um, linking that to the challenges that also emphasizes a bit of the joys and challenges of working together as a group to to do a, a joint project like sponsorship together. And um, oftentimes in our global work and in Canada, what we hear is that not only is there tremendous satisfaction that comes out of the knowledge that, you know, a group came together and helped a family in need, but also the, the very kind of nature of the the working together problem solving as a group is is one of the things that sponsors cite as kind of the part of the most rewarding experience of of the project and doing that with um in a supportive environment like the one um RSTP provides and 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 the settlement system also um I think is is a critical kind of lesson learned and my final reflection I think is linked to that a little bit and I often think that you know, when we talk about private sponsorship in Canada, the term private is a bit of a misnomer because from my experience, it's really a, it really is a whole of society approach. And, and, and that underscores again, the importance of, you know, the, the RSTP and, and um, the settlement sector that exists in Canada and the role that our government does play in, you know, funding settlement services, making sure that language classes are available, that we have a public healthcare system, that the overseas processing works and things like that. So sponsors do take on a lot and they take on a lot of responsibility, like May said. But I um, I guess the final thing that I didn't want to lose out of this conversation is that, you know, they do so in partnership with lots of really wonderful organizations and a really committed government. Um, yeah, so I'll end it there. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Anya. Um, and yeah, I... I, I take your point about the, the, the concerns or tensions perhaps with the word private. I know sometimes in our work we talk more about community initiatives or welcoming initiatives or settling initiatives and maybe that language is a little more sensitive to the nuances you point out about group formation but also newcomer support um, and that wraparound support that is sort of whole of community, whole of society. Um, with that, um, turning to, to May, our, you know, our expert on Group of Five Settlement, do you have any comments or, or closing reflections about best practices that perhaps other stakeholders could learn from? Thank you, Anya, for the, uh, your reflection on, on this. Uh, and 
Thank you, Eliza, for the question as well. Uh, so what I always thought that groups of five can really can use some sub, some different kinds of support. So one way uh, I think of um, a community connection, like um, for example, if the groups of five are short of few members, or if they're um, most of them are newcomers and um, they don't have necessarily the um, the knowledge or the capacity or the ability to access and uh, you know and uh, navigate the system and complete forms if if there is any any way to connect um, with a community um, an organization or um, have a, a sort of mentorship as well like from a different group or could be from a saw or could be partner with a CG to a saw who is experienced with the sponsorship so I, I envision some type of partnership with and mentorship for groups of five I hope that one day there will be a body representing them that they can go to this uh, particular body to advocate for them or help them and have all the resources and connections where they can this is a hub where they can go and then from there branch to different communities uh, connections uh, support uh, help them with fundraising as well many of them really uh, under limited financial resources but they're torn between you know not being able to support their family members in, in a refugee country or camp and at the same time attend to the needs to their family here. It's kind of dilemma and it's it takes away from actually the their 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 quality of life here in Canada. Like many newcomers who are struggling between providing for their families and in the back of their mind, the other family members who are left behind and they need, they're in, in, in stressful situations. They're, they're really, every day they have this in the back of their mind. This is putting a stress on their families here. It's putting stress on their themselves as well. And that's taking away, as I mentioned, from the quality of their, of their life here. Even though they're living in Canada, but they're not enjoying life because Etc. So um, another point, maybe, if the, the governments could create a, a volunteer programs where they can, you know, how in Canada the uh, uh, school, high school children, they need to 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 put towards the community x amount of volunteer hours, and could be for uh, university students or other you know, another other places where they require volunteering hours. So maybe create some opportunities to, you know, have these volunteers help the the groups of five and other sponsoring groups or the newcomers themselves when they're here. Because even when, when they are here, the groups they don't necessarily know everything in and out, you know, when they have seniors, when have school age students or small children and, you know, single mothers. So there are so many aspects of support where we could as a community probably create some volunteering programs where we can support in, in somehow, some way there. And um, maybe in an example of Canada, maybe SARS can 
partner with with or create some or the government actually not the SAS if the government would increase uh, support for SAS experienced and large SAS who or even small SAS who can partner with groups of five and provide mentorship for them but of course SAS we have we know they have limited staff paid staff limited capacity so they need resources and more support from the government in order to create other you know programs that could support groups of five and community sponsors um, that's what i could think of at this moment but I, i'm sure there are so many other different ways creative ways to to help but um, i really feel it's a collective collective effort to help not only the the newcomers um uh, have a, a successful integration and settlement in Canada, but the sponsors themselves too, because they need to be supported in a way to be able to be comfortable and living uh, a peaceful or uh, a good life to be able to support others as well. May Anya, thank you so much for being with us today and for the insights and for the recommendations that you shared with us. I'm sure that our listeners enjoyed it as much as me and Eliza did. And I hope they stay tuned for our next episode, which will focus specifically on the settlement of Syrian newcomers over the last years in Canada. 